This morning we turn our attention to Ruth chapter 3 as we're making our way through this most wonderful short story of Ruth and Naomi and of course of Boaz. And Boaz we have had introduced to us, but he begins to take center stage here as we uh, make our way into Ruth chapter 3. And thus far we've had three sermons and uh, two chapters of this story in which we have seen the providential hand of God. We have seen the uh, judicial hand of God, uh, the bitter providential hand of God, uh, and yet at the same time, the sweet provisions of God as well. As Ruth made her way, excuse me, Naomi made her way out of Moab, the Lord blessed her with a daughter-in-law who pledged herself to her and said she would not leave, who manifested to Naomi, her mother-in-law, what the, the, the Hebrew word has said that we've been referencing. That is this covenantal, deep, self-giving love, what is often translated loving kindness or kindness and loving mercy, something like that. But it's something very deep. And sometimes you know how it is in translating languages, even languages we don't know well. We know that there are just words that you can't put into your language. It's just you got to know it for what it is. And has said is one of those words. It just means covenantal faithfulness, covenantal loyalty and love and mercy. It is the love, in fact, that God, we're told, gives to us. It's his covenantal love for his church, for his people. That's has said. That's what God shows you. That's what we have, though Ephesians, of course, is written in Greek. But what we have in, in, in the Greek when we're told that Christ loves his church and gives himself up for her, if we could translate it into Hebrew, it would be has said. It is that agape, that self-giving love that God has for his church. And, and in the Old Testament, it, it's, it's a little bit hard to see. It's there. It's clearly there. God loves his people. He keeps his covenant to them. Even over many generations, he promised Abraham he would give them the land and told them it would be some time. But in time, the Lord says, I'm keeping my word, right? When he comes to Moses, he says, you ask who my name is. My name is I am. But then he goes on to say, but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who I am. I'm the God who keeps his promises to his people, to his patriarchs. So Moses, go tell the people it's time now. I'm fulfilling that promise I made. That's hesed. It's that covenantal loyalty. And we've seen Naomi blessed with Ruth who gives her maybe small age hesed. Right? That kind of faithfulness. I will go where you go. I will die where you die. Your God will be my God. And I'm not leaving you come hell or high water. And so she makes her way to uh, back to Israel with Naomi. And Naomi, who is still, we looked at last week, kind of blinded with some bitterness, begins to melt, right? She doesn't want to be called pleasant. She doesn't want to be called Naomi. She wants to be called bitter, Mara, because the Lord has dealt so bitterly with her. But, but things are beginning to melt. Ruth last week went out to, again, in that act of said put herself at risk to go glean on the edges of the fields. Something for a foreign woman alone is not a safe thing to do. 
Uh, it's a legal thing to do, as we talked about, but not necessarily a safe thing to do. But she goes out in Hesed for Naomi. Is Naomi going out to glean? I, I don't see Naomi going anywhere. But Ruth is going out there to glean on behalf of Naomi. And in God's providence, the Lord leads Ruth to the fields of Boaz. And Boaz sees her and shows faithfulness and love, unexpected love. Ruth can't understand it, but she receives unexpected care and concern from Boaz because Boaz has heard the tales of this foreign Moabite woman who has cared for what it turns out is a relative of his. And he blesses Ruth in every possible way he can at the moment by letting her not only glean on the edges, but come in and pick from the fields. And he tells the men, hey, drop a little extra to make sure that she can have some and make sure that he speaks to the men. And I know, I know she's a vulnerable woman, but you will not touch her and gives her protection. Let's her drink from the water jugs that the men fill when that was their water. But she's allowed to drink and not have to go fetch her own. So he looks out for every possible way and then just loads her up with a bunch of grain to send her home to Naomi. And the text ends with, and Naomi was living with her mother-in-law, which we said was this little author's way of reminding us that while things are good and praise the Lord that they have food, something's still missing. Ruth is still a widow and she's living at home and she has no seed. She has no offspring. She's still lacking something. The family still hangs, the family inheritance, the land, whatever they have, still hangs in a little bit of jeopardy because Ruth is still living at home with her mother-in-law. Well, that brings us to our text today. As Naomi now, sometime later we're told, because now we're at the end, the harvest has been completed, and now comes the time for the, the threshing floor and the separating of the wheat and the chaff, and now the, the real harvesting of the fruit of their labors. And Naomi starts to scheme. She, a, a good mother-in-law who's looking after her, her daughter-in-law and, and figuring out how to make her life better. Mother-in-laws are very good at finding out how to make their daughters-in-law lives better. <laughs> um, and so Naomi says, you know, I feel a duty to you, daughter. Uh, to, to, I see what we have to do for you. Um, and he, here's the plan. And we might question Naomi's judgment here uh, because Naomi, who has in an earlier passage recognized, last week kind of recognized at the end of the text, hey, stick with Boaz's women. When you're out there gleaning, okay, that's wonderful that Boaz is taking care of us like this. Just make sure you stick with the women. You know, there's safety in numbers here. So that's how we, we left off last week. That's what That was Naomi's words to Ruth. But now Naomi is kind of throwing caution to the wind as she hatches a plan for Ruth to kind of snag Boaz. She sees in Boaz, Naomi does, a real potential for a kinsman redeemer for somebody who potentially could swoop in and save them, who could buy them out of their poverty, potentially who could marry Ruth and give her husband Elimelech and her son Malon a seed and an offspring and preserve the family. Naomi sees the potential here, and she's a little bit giddy about it, and she's a little bit anxious that nothing's been happening thus far because here we are at the end of the harvest, and who knows how things are going to go. And so she wants to press the matter, and so she says, 
hey, hey, darling, put on your best clothes and get some of that perfume that, we, that we've saved up. Gussy yourself up here a little bit, okay? Enough of this looking like you're going out to the harvest. It's time to pretty yourself up a little bit. And here's the plan. And in many ways, it's a terrible plan. Because I want you to go by yourself now. Not to, not to the fields where all the women are, but to the threshing floor where the men are. By yourself, at night, undercover, and kind of hide out there. Don't make yourself known until Boaz, who is done threshing and has had a little to drink, okay, which, so let's, let's not just have you out there with the men alone, but let's make sure the men are a little tipsy. And then when he lays down after the, after he's done his work and he's had food and he's had plenty of drink and he lays down, then here's what you do, okay? You go lay at his feet and then he'll tell you what to do next. Now... <laughs> I don't know if, the, if if this is a plan we would suggest for our daughters, uh, but maybe daughters-in-law are a different story. I don't know. But 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 to say to your your daughter-in-law, go down to the threshing floor where where the guy's a little tipsy and lay at his feet, and he'll tell you what to do next. Uh, sounds like risky business, and we ought not think. Well, it's in the Bible, so it had to be a good idea. It's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. A very dangerous thing for Naomi to do for Ruth or to Ruth and to command of Ruth. And Ruth says, I'll do it. Now we can, we can quickly kind of get sentimental. We've, we've watched enough Hallmark movies. Okay. That we can, we can, or maybe you haven't watched Hallmark movies. Okay. Uh, but whatever you've watched, we've watched enough romance movies. We're, we're, we're romantic enough that we can get swooped up here. And think that Ruth is just Twitter pated, you know, that's from that's from Bambi. But you know, she that she's she's kind of, you know, her heart's fluttering and and she just is giddy about this and would love, you know, Boaz to swoop her up and take her. That that we can have that image that Ruth is Naomi's looking out for Ruth, and Ruth is again Twitter pated and excited and just wants to get down there and see if she can she can swoop up or make herself attractive to Boaz. I, I don't think that's what's going on here. Ruth is being loving but she's being loving to Naomi this is Naomi's scheme and Ruth is being obedient if you will Ruth is showing has said to Naomi by putting herself out there to go down and 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 make herself unbelievably vulnerable to talk to Boaz and by the way it's clear she had other options Boaz acknowledges it. Like, hey, you didn't go after the younger men. Meaning, Boaz is probably not the catch that Ruth has been dreaming of. But he's an eligible guy who can do for the family what the family needs. And Ruth listens to Naomi and heads down to the threshing floor, hides out. Boaz gets a couple in him. And then, and then she slides down to, once he, he zonks out, then Ruth slides in at his feet, uncovers his feet, which there's, again, you read the commentators on this stuff, and there's a lot of innuendo going on in here. There's things that are like, you're not sure, are they euphemisms? 
or what's happening, but I'll tell you, commentators run all over the place with this scene and what's going on and what Naomi's advice to Ruth was and so forth. But let's just leave it there. We'll keep it, we'll keep it PG because I think it is that she uncovers his feet, okay? <laughs> and then is there with him until something startles Boaz in the middle of the night and he wakes up and there's a woman laying at his feet. And this is not, there's no like custom where, hey, this is the kind of thing that just happens around Bethlehem. It's not. He is shocked. We just get kind of a casual, oh, who are you? But we need to read into that like, whoa, what is, what's going on here? I'm sure Boaz is questioning immediately what happened, how much did I drink, what possibly is, who, who is this woman laying at my feet? I mean, all of that is happening in this moment. We, we read it and just kind of, oh, who are you? No, it's not a, oh, who are you? It's like, oh my gosh, what happened here? That's what's going on. And Ruth in the darkness, he can't make out who this is. Who is this woman laying with me, laying at my feet? And of course, Ruth then announces herself. And then Ruth does not mince words. Naomi did not tell him to do this. She said, he'll tell you what to do next. Ruth cuts right to the chase. I'm Ruth, your maidservant, marry me. <laughs> Please, take me, take me under the corner of your robe. That is, that's marriage language. Again, we can look at this in, uh, in Ezekiel 16, which I... I referenced just briefly, if you go look at Ezekiel 16, where you have the image of God saying what he did for Israel, this is what he did. I, took, I put my robe around you. She's saying, take me under your robe. Take me as your wife, for you're a close relative. You can do it. You can do what we need. You're a close relative of ours. That's a tough way to wake up <laughs> for, for Boaz. <laughs> But Boaz, but Boaz, he's pretty sharp, and he, he thinks it too, and he says, you know what, I am a close relative. It's almost as if, hey, I've been thinking something similar here, but I wasn't, unlike, and we'll talk about this in a second, unlike Naomi, I wasn't pushing it, okay, because you have options. You're a younger woman, there are young and more eligible men, I'm not pushing that. But, you, but you've come to me. I will do it. I will do that for you. But, Boaz says, but there is a relative closer than I who, if it's going to be done, needs to be consulted first because I'm actually not legally the first in line to redeem you. I, I'm not the first in line to take care of this. There's actually somebody who needs to be consulted. Again, and we'll mention this in a moment, the character of Boaz. Because it's clearly something Boaz is interested in. Boaz wants to do this, but he, but he holds. And he says, I'll go and check tomorrow. And if that guy wants to do it, then fine. He, he can do that. If not, then I will take care of it. One way or the other, you will be taken care of. Now, sleep here. You're not going back out at night. What, it's crazy you're even here right now. So you just stay right here by me. Again, the protection and then in the morning, before anyone knows what the heck happened here, because this will not look good, all right, if you go stumbling out of here in the broad daylight once the traffic starts. So let's get you out of here before the, the sun comes up. 
and we're going to keep it on the down low here. And he warns everyone, anyone who may have seen this, hey, we don't mention that a woman was here last night. And then straps on six ephahs. We talked about an ephah the other day. We said, oh, it could be about 30 pounds. I mean, a tremendous amount of grain he gives her. And she hauls it off, which tells us something about Ruth, that Ruth was a hardy woman herself, that she could, she could haul off all this grain that she brings back to Naomi. And Naomi, now again, we're left one more time with a little bit of a cliffhanger because now we're told she just gets back and says, hey, let's just wait and see what Boaz does because one way or the other, he's going to get it done. And that's how the story ends in this chapter. Three quick things to think about. First, Naomi, let's, let's reflect on each of the characters. Let's reflect on Naomi's scheming. I, and I want us to reflect on this because Naomi is trying to read the providential hand of God. Clearly, right? She came back bitter. She was reading God's providence back then. I went away full. I've come back empty. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord's hand is against me. She reads... So one thing we know about Naomi, she's a terrible reader of providence. Now, on the other hand, we look at Naomi and we can identify with her because it's probably the way we read providence, which means we also stink at it, right? You look at the tough hand that's dealt to you and you say, I don't know why God is so, why is God against me? Why won't God take care of me? Why, where, you know, we do just what Israel did. And look, I'm, okay, I'm chief among them. How quick you get to the whining. How quick you get to the complaining. Again, we've talked about this before. Israel leaves Egypt having just seen God like destroy the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. No sooner do they get out. It's like, well, why don't we have water? That was really great, but how come we don't have enough water to drink? Yeah, well, we're, okay, that was wonderful, but hey, you know, we, we got to eat. A man's got to eat. Where's the bread? This is ridiculous. They get to the promised land and they're like, there's no way we can win this. God, it must not be for us. Constant complaining. And so we can identify with Naomi. But Naomi's a terrible reader of God's providence. God is against me. God has dealt bitterly with me. God has stripped everything from me. He's left me completely empty as she's standing there with this amazing woman, Ruth, on her way back to the barley harvest. So we see Naomi's scheming. Because once again, she's trying to read God's providence and she's beginning to sense, hey, maybe the Lord's hand is not against me. I think I see what he's doing here. The fact that he led Ruth into Boaz's field. But and while in that sense, that is a good read of providence because we know the story. That is what God is doing. Nonetheless, Naomi now reading pro providence properly decides to press God's hand. Right? She's going to expedite the process. Now, it's not that we shouldn't act and make good decisions. You don't sit and wait for God's providence to occur. Your actions and your decisions are part of the providential working of God. But there's a difference between acting in humble reliance upon God, praying and seeking his will and trying to act wisely, and then trying to force his hand. And Naomi is trying to force his hand. She's, she, again, is kind of expediting the process. We got to speed this up. Put on your best dress and get some of that perfume on and head down to the threshing floor. We got to make something happen here. We do not sense in Naomi a quiet, patient waiting upon the Lord. 
when I think of her, I think of Jacob. Jacob in the Bible, Jacob, right? Jacob in the Bible, Jacob was this kind of guy, right? The guy who's like, don't forget Jacob had the prophecy, right? The older will serve the younger. He, he had that, his mom must have been, you know, Rebecca must have been telling him that, hey, you're, you're going to rise to a position of inheritance, whatever that means. But Jacob, and even Rebecca falls into this, gets to the point where like waiting is not enough. Let's make it happen. Right? Dad's about to die. I don't know how God's going to do this. I got to make it happen. So fine, I'll dress up like Esau. Well, first I'll get Esau to sell me his birthright so at least I can tell myself in my head I'm justified in lying to my dad because it's actually mine. So he gets Esau to sell the birthright by swindling him out of it and holding food away from him. Then he dresses like his brother and lies about it. And, and you know, the story goes on and on with him. And then he gets down to Laban's house and when finally he gets swindled, and then gets on the backside of that, and he's finally, he's done his 14 years, he's got two wives, and he's heading out of town. Even there, he can't resist. He's got to take more from Laban and make get more prosperity. And so you remember, he comes up with that ridiculous scheme about having the, the, the sheep that he's supposed to shepherd and tend. Remember, drink water by looking at spotted bark? And, and he makes a deal with, with Laban. Can I have all the spotted sheep? And Laban looks around his flock, he sees no spotted sheep, and so he's like, Sure, you can have them all. And, and and then Jacob comes up with a ridiculous scheme where I'll have the sheep drink <laughs> and I'll put spotted bark in the water. And so when they mate, they'll have spots in their eyes and, and that'll make spotted babies. And you're like, I don't know. I, maybe you weren't taking health class back then, but I don't think that's how you get spotted babies. But 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 he, he tries this plan and lo and behold... Spotted babies, <laughs> spotted spotted lambs. And he, he walks away kind of snickering at Laban the whole time. And when I think of that, I think of Naomi. Naomi is scheming. She's plotting. And what's amazing is the Lord in his hesed nonetheless blesses Naomi. But it's not because of Naomi's scheming. It's in spite of Naomi's scheming. And I think we have something to learn negatively. We, we, we could be chastened by this. Learn to wait upon the Lord. Even when we sense his hand of providence, be careful not to overread and to wait upon the Lord and to make wise decisions done slowly in trust of his plan. Secondly, we see Ruth's has said. So we got Naomi scheming. Secondly, we got Ruth's has said, Ruth's love. Boaz acknowledges it. In verse 10, he says to her when he's startled up and here's this woman lying at his feet and his feet are uncovered, okay, then he said, blessed are you uh, of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than you did at the beginning. Bo when Boaz just begins to get his senses and his bearings about what exactly is going down here, what overwhelms him is the said, the love, the kindness of Ruth. He knows what's going on. He knows Ruth has options, but he also knows that Ruth is doing this once again to help her mother-in-law. Remember, he was amazed by this when he first met her in the field. He comes to her and says, you know, I'm amazed. Everybody's talking about this amazing said, this amazing love and kindness that you have shown in leaving your home, leaving your mother and father, leaving all potential Moabite marriages and coming to a strange land so that you could be here to provide for your mother-in-law. Wow. 
What an act of kindness. Now he looks and he sees Ruth laying at his feet in an unbelievably vulnerable position. Vulnerable not only because it's dangerous to be out here at night, not because we're far away from anywhere else in the darkness and who knows what you're vulnerable to, but you've put yourself in trust of me. Like what kind of man is Boaz? You put Boaz in a pretty tough position here, but you have you have put yourself in a position of unbelievable uh, vulnerability. Here you have uh, Ruth taking unbelievable risks in this pursuit of grace, in this pursuit of salvation on a, on a human level, right? For herself, but most importantly for her family, for the preservation of her family. And that's why, by the way, I chose as our New Testament reading the story of the adulteress, of the, the, the prostitute who comes, because she does a very similar thing. And it's, there's all these little resonances. If you go back and read, I'm not saying it's a, this is a picture of that. It's not, but it's just enough that there's some resonances. But if you think about, you know, uh, this woman who comes to Jesus, again, highly risky, right? In, in that she's violating all kinds of social norms. Jesus is having a meal with a wealthy man. There are Pharisees present, right? The holy people who look down their noses at prostitutes. You don't dare go near them. You don't dare touch them. And this woman has the audacity, a lot like Ruth. Again, just think about the vulnerability of what she's doing here. The charges that may be leveled against her, the consequences. She comes right into the house, falls at the feet of Jesus, a lot like uh, Ruth here, uncovers them, if you will, though they're probably uncovered, and begins to anoint them and weep over them and wash them with her hair, just pouring out this love. I mean, it's it's this risky, socially anyway, risky pursuit of grace. It's And you see it with Ruth, like, what is there that I will hold back for the sake of this? This is what this kind of has said looks like from the human perspective. I think of Jesus' parable of the the man who digs up, the, hits the treasure in the field while he's digging and, and, and thinks to himself, I will go back. I will sell everything I have to buy this field. Or the man who discovers the pearl of great price in the, in the next parable after and, and decides, I, I will sell everything I have so I can purchase this pearl. And that's where Ruth is. And that's where uh, the woman is, the, the, the prostitute who comes to the feet of Jesus. What is there not worth risking and giving so that I can have this? And we see it in this, in this uh, shadowy way with Ruth as she comes to Boaz. So we see Naomi scheming, but Ruth's has said, Ruth's love for her mother-in-law, love for her husband, because in marrying Boaz, she is preserving the line of her husband, Malon, and love for her father-in-law, right, for Elimelech. Marrying Boaz is to preserve Elimelech's line, to preserve Elimelech's inheritance, to preserve Elimelech's name, Ruth gives herself up for that. And as Boaz says, I recognize you have other options and your has said overwhelms me. It's even greater here. This is an even greater act than what you did the first time and he's blown away by it. And he speaks to her character. Now we don't know what Boaz, I mean, we, we don't know if Boaz, if there were other things motivating Boaz, whether he was just personally attracted to her I don't know. Again, our Americana kind of romantic things get in 
and muddle this story for us. But one thing we know attracts him to her, and it's her unbelievable character. He is blown. He noticed it in the field. He notices it here, and he speaks to it. The people in town all know. I'm not worried about even your reputation for this because everyone knows you are such a virtuous woman. So we see Naomi scheming, Ruth's amazing has said, and then finally Boaz, Boaz's grace and Boaz's character and Boaz's gift of salvation. Boaz, of course, is our Christ figure. Boaz is a man of character who does not have a legal duty to do this. There's nothing compelling Boaz to do this. Boaz will do what he's going to do as an act of free grace and love to Ruth and Naomi and Elimelech and Malon. That's what's, that's what's motivating him, has said. What's motivating him is love. He is not bound legally and he acknowledges it. There's someone else who is. But if that guy won't do what he has to do, and even it doesn't even mean marrying Ruth. He's, he's not necessarily bound to marry Ruth. But he's bound to provide and make sure that he gets her out of debt and make sure that he purchases her property and make sure that he gives an inheritance. But if that guy won't do what he's supposed to do, I'll do it. I will do it. Boaz is a man of integrity and character. And Boaz is in that way the anti-Naomi. Because I think he too sees the hand of providence here. That Ruth ends up in his field and he's been providing for her. And maybe Boaz has even been wondering whether it would come to this. Whether in fact the opportunity would present itself. Maybe he was even waiting to present it till after the harvest. But now his hand has been pushed here. But Boaz, unlike Naomi, has not rushed in. Boaz has not pressed the matter. Boaz has let the situation come to him. He has not run and forced the situation. He knows Ruth has other options. He lets her pursue them, not going to put her in that situation. And even when Ruth comes and presents it to him, and he clearly is overwhelmed by it and wants it, he puts the brakes on. One, he's got this woman laying at his feet. He puts the brakes on there. But number two, he puts the brakes on just legally and says, you know what? I will do due diligence first and make sure I go check with the people. I don't just rush in and, hey, I'll do it. Somebody else has a responsibility and a right. I'm going to go check with them first. Again, just a man of integrity and character and clearly our Christ figure. He's also a figure of Adam, by the way. Kevin opened my eyes to this with him sleeping and waking up to a bride at his feet. And through that, not just Adam but of course Christ, who again sleeps and when he wakes up through the grave, uh, provides and is presented with a bride. Namely, he, he purchases his church that way. We see all these things. These, these little echoes are coming to us in the story of Boaz, this amazing man of character who does not force providence, who has no legal obligation, but out of love and covenantal duty, goes and purchases, I say purchase, but you know what I mean, redeems a bride. He loves Ruth like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see it already in the signs of him giving all this barley to her as a sign. I'm going to provide for you. He gives what he has away to her and for her sake. It's a beautiful image of what Christ does for her, his church 
to make her radiant and beautiful. And we see that in the love of Boaz. Boaz is willing to take her, Ruth, this Moabitess, okay? We, we forget that this is going to cost a, a Boaz something, right? He's marrying a Moabitess. And that comes with complications socially. Yes, she's a woman of virtue, but she's a Moabite woman. It's not a given that he would say yes to this situation. But he does because he loves her and he loves the family and he cares for them and he shows his said to them. And this is the same with Christ. There is no obligation for Christ to love you. You're, you're a Moabite man or woman. You have nothing to offer him. Ruth has nothing to offer wealthy Boaz. Boaz is doing just fine. Thank you very much. He's sitting on a big pile of barley out here, you know, toasted and full belly and feeling nice and warm in his soul, and he's doing well. But he gives himself for this mobile woman, and so it is with Christ to you. Christ has no obligation to you. You offer nothing to him. You're worse than Ruth because you're not a virtuous person. Go back and read the passage in Ezekiel 16 when God says to Israel, this is how I found you. You were a mess, okay? You were a mess, and then you took what I gave you and you played the harlot with it. Yet I loved you. Yet I loved you. And so it is with Christ. He comes and he pours out his love, not on the virtuous not on the one who has anything to offer and not because of any obligation outside of his own will. Yet he has loved you. And not only has he loved you, he has taken you under his robe. He has given you a robe of righteousness in which you will find protection, in which you find acceptance, in which you find purity. You have a new identity in Christ and in him you are an heir now. Co-heir with him of all that he inherits from his father is all freely given to you. This is the amazing truth of the gospel. And we see a hint of it in the story of Ruth and Boaz. Well, we'll wait till next week to see the conclusion of the story. But one thing we know, with Naomi, Boaz is on it. And if Boaz is on it, things are going to work out all right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us. Though we are Moabites, though we come with baggage of sin and poverty. Nonetheless, Lord, you love us. Though you were not obligated, you freely gave yourself for us to redeem us, and we give you thanks and praise for that. Stir our hearts to praise, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.